Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep Season 4, the same number of seasons as The Good Place had. We are three gentlemen with perfect opinions about movies, TV, culture, and hard-hitting news. And as you know, Season 4 is about diversifying our topics a little bit. We've got a wide range of discussions to have today. But first, let me introduce you to our panel. I'm your host. I'm Alex Falcone. I'm hanging out in North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Uh, I am joined today uh, from Southeast Portland. He's at Anthony Lopez Part Two on Twitter. And if I'd known he does card tricks, I never would have married him. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. <laughs> Hello. Uh, excited to be here. Um, I want to let you guys both know, uh, since you no longer live in Portland, uh, you missed a very fun day of snow yesterday. Oh, what? I did see some yeah. of that. That's we cool. We got a nice, none of it really stuck, at least where I live. But uh, we don't get snow a lot here in Oregon. Uh, and no, we do. Does the, the city panics. Yeah, everyone freaks the fuck out, has massive panic attacks. Um, but it was lovely. I love it. Oh, I, it was I so beautiful too. yesterday. A couple of years ago, they canceled a Blazers game because of snow. And that is an indoor sport. Yeah. <laughs> That's how scared of snow they are. Um, also joining us, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd. And if anybody wants to open a stupidity division, they know who to get to lead it. From the woods of Arkansas, it's Hunter Donaldson. Howdy, y'all. Good to be here. Love <laughs> hey, it. Buddy. haven't gotten this guy out in a while. <laughs> yeah. He sounds fun. Yeah. Um, that's my guy. Uh, it do- snowed here. It snowed here. But it did? it's already gone. It's oh. already gone, which makes me uh, sad because I love snow. I like snow too, and I moved to a place where it does not. Um, yeah, I, you I look at my window. Where if it snows, you're like, oh, so I guess this is like the beginning of a dystopian sci-fi. Yeah, movie. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did. Look, I looked out the window this morning, and I thought I saw snow, and it was just that it was just a large piece of white plastic garbage that was. Oh broken into so many pieces it looked like little snow drifts on the grass that's what well, I, that's what I, I mean not california get, dreaming not to get <laughs> um too dark super early but uh, i know the the uh are you sure it wasn't just like uh ash from the crematoriums going super oh, that, is too dark. that is too uh, dark uh yeah but man like at people with asthma in Los Angeles, it's like so much worse because you you guys are just running the crematoriums. Yeah, there was uh, a thing about like the story was that they had to change, they had to up the amount of crematorium that you were allowed to do in one day. Things are so fucked up. I don't want to talk about this. This is too sad. Um, I like when we're talking about the snow. Um, so I let's like go snow. back to that. Um, snow's nice. Um, actually, uh, we have some other we have some news to talk about before we get into the news. Uh, I'd just like to thank a meat buddy, Holly. Uh, I want to thank today. Holly has been uh, with us since 2015, and uh, which always make whenever that happens, I'm like, I don't understand how people haven't gotten bored with us. You stuck um, with us through the entire Trump administration. Think about that's that. So, that's such a good right. point. That's oh, do you, are we going to lose these about. people now? Is it like they only liked us when they were mad at the government, and now they're like, well. Well, seems he'll to be, be doing back. Okay. He'll be back. We'll, we'll we'll get her back. Oh yeah, once the Patriot Party takes over. Yeah. Well, yeah, as yeah. as we all know, now that Trump's gone, all the problems are gone with the country as well. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> um, he wasn't the symptom; he was the source of all of them, yeah. and he took all of his problems with him down to Florida. Mm-hmm. 
Well, well, I mean, that's where we always assumed they were coming from. So I think that's a good place to put them. Did, um, you, if, did you guys read? I just saw this. Did you guys read that Florida uh, offered to host the Olympics if Tokyo cancels? I did see that. I thought what. That's the funniest thing. Like, we're going to cancel. Okay, they've been postponed a year because of COVID. We're going to cancel them because the safety is just, the standards are just not there. And Florida right. is like, we'll take them. Yeah, uh, come yeah. on. Come on, we got, we got no rules. <laughs> yeah, Florida is to, like, in indoor stuff during the virus, what Las Vegas is to marriage. They're just yeah. like, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, we don't do <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. Can you imagine though if you thought you were going to the Olympics in Tokyo and you're like, hey, your plane takes off oh and you're like, we've rerouted you to Central Florida. Oh well, I just God. love like you know what four or five years worth of planning and stuff goes into an Olympics. Right. I yeah, would yeah, love yeah. to see the thrown together in three months. <laughs> last minute Florida <laughs> Olympics. Yeah, last minute. Oh, you you <laughs> persuaded me. I want this to happen now. That's that hilarious. Now I'm sad that it's not happening. Just, we got six months to piddle an Olympics together. <laughs> I, <laughs> they're like, they're like just bringing new events in because they're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, um, yeah, we got a, yeah, we, we got, got a, alligators. Uh, be we can a have a fight. event. Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, we don't have room to build an arena, but just go fight in the street. That's this alligator represents the United States. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is very fun. Okay, but that's not what we're here. We, we are here to talk about news, but not that news. Oh, I just want to finish up on Holly. Thanks for joining us again, Holly. And if you'd like to keep, if you would like to join Holly and the rest of the Meat Buddies and help keep this show limping down the tracks through yet another administration, go to Metreon.com. And I thank everybody who supports the show. Okay, a lot of news this week, um, and I had this whole thing ready. I was so ready to talk today. I had a whole plan segment planned out about the exciting news from the field of dinosaur buttholes. But then something else came up that we wanted to talk about. And I, I, we, you know, if we're, if anything, we have proven that we are a topical show. So we switched gears at the last minute to talk about something extremely actual news. Um, yeah, and look, I was excited to talk about dinosaurs eating ass like the rest of you. I'm sure. Yeah, dude. Well, it that's, is. Is it? That's a great. I'm glad you brought that up. We'll have to check out and see if that's what it is in a later segment because I think that news is not going to go out of date too fast. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it'll be no, timeless, it's, that one. It's, by the time we get to it, it's going to tone out the buttholes were feathered and it's not going to be accurate <laughs> anymore. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't, know. Gonna, I don't think buttholes like... are going out of style anytime soon. No, buttholes <laughs> I... are more fashionable than today than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if this is going to be like the Vietnam joke, though, where for the next two months, every news segment will start. Like, I was going to talk about dinosaur butts, but then. <laughs> so here here is the news we're going to talk about, of course, is the uh, this is uh, I'll, re I'll read you an excerpt from Aaron Ross Sorkin at all writing for The New York Times. Why is Wall Street obsessed with GameStop, the video game chain that until recently was known only for middling performance? The company's stock has soared to scarcely believable levels. Its market cap as of today was over $10 billion, and its shares briefly doubled in pre-market trading, thanks to an army of small traders spurred on by a Reddit message board. So that's right. We we're talking about the today's ubiquitous online story, uh, which by the time you hear this has probably totally changed. But for now, I'm going to... We're going to catch it, catch you up really quickly on Reddit versus the hedge funds and the storing, soaring GameStop stock. I am not an expert, but I do believe I have come. I, I can summarize this in a way that would not make Kai Rizdal roll over in his Subaru. So this is my 
oversimplified version of what is going on with the GameStop stock that I think is not technically incorrect. So um, the game, you guys know GameStop. That part's easy. Yeah, uh, the yeah. stock's been going nuts recently, which seems surprising to many because you thought like many mall stores during and and stores during COVID and and physical media locations that they haven't been doing super well. And well, it seems also to like not just. Like I got GameStop, one sentence in. I just wanted to say, just to clarify a little bit, yeah. uh, to add a little bit more perspective, GameStop isn't just uh, your normal retailer having a hard time. GameStop is a company that is somehow every month like, we lost another billion dollars. <laughs> uh, we're going to start selling phone games. I don't even know what that yeah. means. Right. Uh, we're going to sell Funko Pops. Uh, yeah. Like Funko Pops came by, gave them a slight breather somehow, uh, <laughs> and like People they like the, large heads. Yeah, they're a company that isn't just been like notoriously going downhill, but have been like infamously circling the drain for totally. years. Totally. Yeah. I, I've been a gamer my whole life. Okay, hello, I'm Hunter. I'm a gamer, and. <laughs> GameStop has been say. going out of business my entire life. <laughs> that has been a fact of it. So. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a perfect background on GameStop. So given that, why did oh this week the stock shoot through the roof? And the answer, it's I mean, it's a little bit, it's always a little bit complicated, but the answer seems to be that the stock, while they've been slowly circling the drain, has been pushed lower by hedge funds betting that the company is going to go out of business any day, which is called short selling, but that doesn't actually matter. Um, all That's more confusing than it needs to be. What matters is hedge funds are betting against the company and have been doing that in a big way. They're going to turn- toys or us then. Well, Toys R Us has some other complicated figures, but yes, they're gonna they're gonna um, a lot of companies that have gone out of business have got had this issue, um, but the so they've been betting against it, and that pissed off the people on the the subreddit Wall Street Bets, which um, is a subreddit for people who like stocks and also hate speech. So they got together and they decide because they're, they're sort of like the cool new assholes instead of the stodgy old assholes of wall street so they decided they were going to buy up game stock in huge quantities and drive the price up which will screw over the hedge funds and also make them some money so they'll take some money from it a little david and goliath in the stock market what a fun time it's an old wall street trick but it just hasn't quite been done this way by mostly smaller investors who have kind of like a combination of justice and lulls on their side yeah, i mm-hmm. believe a little bit. the uh the official summary of it will be uh gamers rise up uh that's the, <laughs> that's the sum it up in a uh a sh- the long and the short of it my, my guess was going to be sonic the hedge fund but yours that's is probably great um, I, know, I, I like i like that anything to get <laughs> sonic back in the papers you know what i mean well, but I here's my my I mean my main concern about that is that it's not just going to be the head fund f- hedge funds who get punched and shoot out all their gold. I think, uh, like even though right now it looks like all of the the hedge fund short sellers are going to take the L, I think in the long run a bunch of these Reddit people are going to get screwed too, and that's um what we are going to talk about in our take section. But that's the news. I think that's my summary of it. So hedge fund people betting that the company's going to go business in this way that is seen as evil and Redditors, uh, Reddit small investors joining forces to try to screw them over and help this company from their youths. Well, and I will say uh, an update. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Update. This happened. I checked, as you guys remember, 10 minutes before we started recording, I was like, I should see what's going on, on Twitter in case the story's changed. And one of the top stories is that Discord has banned Wall Street bets uh, because of not because of financial dealings, 
because of hate speech. So um, <laughs> they don't care about the GameStop well, that, rally. Well, that's something they, you can use. You can pretty much use that to cancel any, you know, in any gathering on the internet, you can pretty much say, well, we're going to close this one down due to hate speech. And someone will be like, was there any hate speech? They're like, probably. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, that's true. So if they were doing it, if they were like, if if Wall Street was pushing Discord to get involved, they, I'm sure you could find a lot of uh, hate speech on that discord but and you probably can on the reddit too but reddit as we both know or all three of us know not the nicest corner of the internet large percentages of the time and that's one thing that is initially like my my first gut reaction to all of this is that like i obviously hedge funds are the worst and then you're like who's the good guy in this story wait it's the reddit that i see that like stocks in the N word. Like, I don't know if I'm on their side either. So I don't well, want it to be gamers rise up. Well, Reddit, it's Reddit Reddit, gamers. Also, also just to clarify a little bit, like, like Reddit is a case by case basis. Like each subreddit has kind of chosen its alignment. Not to say that this, obviously this subreddit, you, you don't even have to tell me anything about it. And I'm like, yeah, screw those, screw these guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And th- so basically this one in particular though, it seems to be all the people who are playing online poker in 2010 are now in this group yeah this is that kind of people who are gambling in the stock market and also saying horrifying things i mean the subreddit is like there's like a famous picture of a i think it was a german news company talking about wall street bets and they posted they showed the the graphic at the top of wall street bets and didn't realize that the what looked like a stock market graph was secretly a large picture of a penis shooting the words wall street bets out of it like it's that kind of a financial Mm. subreddit but also like it's like with most things involving capitalism uh in the modern day it's also it's not just like a david and goliath thing because other big companies and hedge funds who are like well, we can also get in on David's side. So it's like David oh, yeah, versus yeah. Goliath totally. with a few other Goliaths hanging by behind going, I'll put five right. bucks on the little guy. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. A lot of Goliaths have come in and made money off the the Davids. And I I mean, I had I had like this whole list of things I was going to say. But the, when I've been talking to other people about it, the thing that keeps sticking out to me is so if you do this sort of like pump and dump stock plan where a bunch of you all buy it at the same time to pump the price up. It's basically what you've created is a little tiny pyramid scheme. And yeah. most of you are not going to get your money back at this high level. You have to sell at the high level. And if you all do that really fast, it crashes and not everyone gets out in time. And the the hedge funds betting on David, they're going to like the other hedge, the other Goliaths, they're going to be faster at that than you. So yeah. and like so much of this story is like, I think that it kind of goes into like that Internet frontier justice where there is no good guys there are just yes, the, yes. there's just the lulls you know yes. like yeah. it, it's just the chaos and the thing that i find so interesting about this story is i really hate to be the guy who quotes the joker but let me quote the joker <laughs> oh no oh no jokester but, quote I'm, incoming yeah i was get wondering ready. what's the jokester got to say get, about this situation get ready we're about to all get jokerified um but you know that that line in the dark night when the the Joker is like talking the he's talking to Two Face and he's explaining that like uh-huh. as long as things go according to plan nobody cares right yeah and it's uh-huh. like if it's if it's hedge funds doing pump and dump you know hurting I don't know do the, do the line come on do the line come if, on 
Well, Come on. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to think. Of it. Okay, hold on. Shut up. I want to hear your jokester voice. No one ever, no one ever minds as long as things go according to plan. If I were to say a, a gang banger was going to get shot or a truck full of soldiers was going to get blown up, no one would care. But I say I'm going to shoot one little male, and everyone loses the fucking minds. That's pretty good. Um, That's pretty good. Thank you. I was complete. Yeah, I have you ever seen that that kid that was like in high school doing a Joker thing, and he goes, uh, "He goes, I'm the Joker, baby." (laughs) (laughs) I think about him all the time. (laughs) You're the Joker, baby. Good work, Anthony. Yeah. Um, But it is that like it's it's like so like these big hedge funds doing pump and dump stuff when they're shorting stocks, and it's like it's gonna hurt. You know, fuck, like, the GameStop brass, the people there are dumb. But, like, at the end of the day, it hurts employees, it hurts customers, it hurts, like, chain of supply people. It hurts all these other people. But, like, that's the plan. That's the system working. And so no one cares. But the second people get in there and, like, do something unexpected and it's, like, you know, the rubes start to get involved and start to, like, cost money... The fact that like people are like, well, regulations need to come up about this. <laughs> That's the stuff that drives me just bonkers. Well, it makes me so mad. Like, can I be this? I think you're too optimistic. This is like such a lovely viewpoint. I just want I want you to be more cynical than that because if you think that the rubes have figured out a way to beat Wall Street, that doesn't seem supported by history. I feel like it's like. If there's reg, yeah, then there might be regulation, but even that's way slow. What's actually going to happen is they're going to figure out how to fuck you. Well, yeah, because they're not, better at this. Yeah, and I'm they're going to win, and they always win. And it's like this is their game, and you figured out a way to like beat them for a day. But they have so many people working on winning this game, and also if you win so hard that they lose all of their money, they get a bailout. And if if they win so hard, you lose all your money. You also have to move out of your house because you don't have a house anymore. Right. Like there is no version of this where they lose. Like the hedge funds are going to win, and the Reddit people are going to lose, and a lot of Reddit people are going to lose their money. It's, what are they? You mean like bailout from who? Who's bailing them out? Maybe I'm misunderstanding well, so how like, this works. So another example of uh, of short selling being not the uh, bad guys. To give you something that you can grab grab onto is uh, the movie The Big Short, right? So in that uh-huh. and and the guy, so Christian Bale from The Big Short is actually that the real person who that was based on is actually kind of might be the person who started specifically the GameStop thing because he was like, Hey, I think people are shorting the stock and it's bullshit. And I think there's actually like a better upside to this. And I think we should all rise up and people love him. And he's a hero from that big short day. So they started doing this on, on, on Reddit, but the idea might have come from him. I've seen it traced to him, but he was famous for that movie for shorting the housing market, basically for saying, I'm going to bet against all of this housing bubble and so what he does, it he's a hero because sometimes shorting is actually helping stop a bubble or stopping corruption. But what happened was all the banks that backed the bubble, right? Not all of them. One, we let one of them go out of business and the rest of them got huge bailouts from the government. Right, so yeah. if, like in this case, we're not going to give the hedge fund a bailout directly. But like a lot of these hedge funds have also gotten a lot of money during the from the COVID uh, relief bills. I so mean, like. Right. My my problem with this, and it's kind of a problem I have with the Big Short in general. Even mm-hmm. though I do I do think that movie has like some really good performances in it, but the mm-hmm. idea of also like you don't get to like be a hero. Like 
people don't talk about Robin Hood because he he stole from the rich and then like kept it all for himself and was a millionaire, right? <laughs> like, like that, you don't get to be a hero. That's such a good you point. Fucked over some other rich people to get rich. That is just yeah. like more shitty rich guy stuff, and that's what a lot of this comes down to. I mean, a lot of my kind of point of view on it is like. Uh, not to quote, let me quote the uh, reference to Christopher Nolan Batman movies again, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but you know how when someone in a movie walks into like a hospital or a school or a church with a gun and it's like very tense, just like inherently? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene in The Dark Knight Rises where Bane and a bunch of his friends walk into a stock exchange with machine guns, and I feel mm-hmm. nothing but glee. Uh, <laughs> I, there is just an inherent thing about, to me, of like people doing bad things in stock exchanges that is like, I don't care in what form it comes in. I just want it. I just want bad things to happen to these people. Uh, oh, maybe yeah. not gun violence, but it's like if no, of if course not gun violence. Person, we don't want to be banned from Discord. Yeah, if one person because of this who was going to have a really good day that I don't even know exist, but they have a bad day because of this, I consider that a win in my book. That's just <laughs> what I want. Yeah, like if they're fighting each other, it's 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 fine. Like yeah, it's did, like they can't fuck with the little guy. Thousands of predators are going to lose like money that they can't afford to lose because of this. Wait, and who? I guess Sorry. what redditors people who got involved in the the oh the like random side. random people that just got swept into it, yeah, you know, or who are trying to participate in this for the lulls and for the justice are going to realize that they get they lost the money because they didn't get out of they didn't dump in time for the pump and dump, right. and so um, they took it in the rump. One more <laughs> tiny thing that I want to say, just to be even more pessimistic, that I want to remind people, and then I do want to wrap on this because we have so much other stuff to talk about. But um, is that a lot of the people on Reddit in, that are in, the Davids that are interested in justice that are getting involved in this are trading stocks through an app called Robinhood. And uh, Robinhood, if you don't know, is a like a place to do free stock trades for little people like us. And the which so it's like, oh, cool, we're stealing from the rich and keeping for ourselves, just like Robinhood. And um, the problem is that Robinhood is like a super. It's it's a pretty evil online casino that's like hurting a lot of kids actually in the long run. Oh. But also the way the way it makes money instead of charging you for the, the a, a fee to trade stocks, is that when you order a stock, it sends a message to a hedge fund and lets them buy that stock first and then sell it to you for two pennies more. So every single time, it's, uh, every single time you buy something on Robinhood to fuck over a hedge fund, a hedge fund made money on that. Mm. So it's like, even, it, like, even though that it seems like a fun day for internet justice, like when we all voted for Bodie McBoatface, but in the end the investors still own the boat. That's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to my sort of point about all of this. It's like, it could not have happened to nicer people, any of us, right? I, but like, but down, could, you, could you, wait, I don't, I'm, I'm confused. Well, Can I, you explain this to I, me with a different Batman villain? No, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> yes, please, one more, um, one more. Okay, yeah. So, a third Batman villain or I'm not going to believe it. Okay, so do you know how when Oswald Copperpot was running for mayor in Batman Returns? <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> of course. He did so by, like, uh, exploiting... I, I don't know where this is going. Anyway, my point is, 
my point is that like the fact that this is happening to GameStop, which is this company that like Hunter, oh, yes, you and I we both have we both have I'm sure relationships with this the store. And like Oh, I had they, a life changing relationship with it one time. Yeah, they you are, did. They are yeah. this company that though that um you know, they're based in Minnesota. They have a publishing wing, they own like Game Informer magazine. And they they were always one of the bigger game stores, but it used to be like it's one of those things that like I feel like old trying to explain this to like a young person. Like when I was a kid, there was four game stores in every mall, right. and they all had different names. And they like and they competed with. It. Do you remember uh, EB Games, Electronic Boutique, yeah, or whatever? EB, it was yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. KB. Uh, yeah. yeah, there was uh, so many different uh, game shops. And what happened was GameStop and like bought out all their competition, became a monopoly in the market, and then became mm. incredibly unlike consumer friendly. Uh, really, de- like, you know, especially like a huge part of the the game idea and like the game store ecosystem that was very really promising was like this idea of like returning games to buy new games. Like, it's a very good idea if you're a retailer have people bring you in product that you can resell and then we can also like use that money to buy more product for us but what they did was because they had no more competition it started getting to the point like it's a you know it's pretty memed out at this point but going in with a brand new game and getting offered two bucks for it or something like that like they just found ways to screw um, the customers, everyone I've ever known who's worked for GameStop has nothing but horrible things to say oh, about the yeah, company. That's such a good point. Like yeah. the way they like so because they own the magazine, a huge part of their thing is like getting selling magazine subscriptions, and you have to sell X amount or you will get fired. Right? Uh, so it's like it's just these constant things that just reinforced. They got they really helped push and define. Uh, pre-order culture, which is, I think, is something that is very heinous about video games. It has led to a lot of really bad practices, uh, and that's like GameStop is what helped uh, incentivize that. It, there was they don't do it anymore, but like Hunter, do you remember like um, like online passes and stuff like that? The GameStop like helped companies introduce so that like if you bought the oh, game, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you bought yeah. the game used, you would then have to buy a pass to play online. Man, I forgot about that. So, that yeah. was such a weird, weird thing. Yeah, it's like they GameStop has tried and abandoned so many ways to fuck over the end user in in like ways that they've just stopped doing and people have forgotten about it. But it's like they just have this long history and that's a huge part of like why like, yeah, I mean I, Hunter, I don't know about you, but like every year I expect it to be GameStops last year. So to see yeah. them in this that was always the show, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like it's so weird. It's just like uh that's what I mean. Like couldn't happen to nicer people. Like everyone like involved in this Yeah, stop. everybody involved sucks. Yeah, so it's like my thing is like I feel bad for like employees who may be getting fucked with or like maybe a redditor who got caught up in a joke who's gonna lose some money, but for the most part it's just a real like you know, let them fight type yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. We gotta hear life changing experience. Oh yeah, tell me, did you did okay, you like I'll, I'll I'll make it really fast. Did you get like a handy in a GameStop? What happened? No, I don't know. Behind a standy. No, I was on acid at a GameStop, bro, one time. 
it was uh, uh, StarCraft Two had come out. I used to go to the midnight releases of games at GameStop. Mm-hmm. This was like early college, and I was like really into StarCraft. I was really into games in general, but the first two years of college, I was like really kind of like retreating in my life, which is probably why I was on acid, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> I was uh, medicating, um, uh-huh. and so <laughs> so it was the day StarCraft Two was coming out, and I took I took acid just incidentally earlier, and then I went to the midnight release of StarCraft Two. And I'm waiting in line, and I remember being at, something about being at GameStop at midnight with all these other gamers in a line to get this game that I had waited for like years. Like, like I had been, I was dreaming of a StarCraft sequel when I was a kid. Oh yeah, and I got it. And I remember, I think because I was on acid, I had this feeling of like, you need to do more with your life, man. Like this is like <laughs> this, this is not. This is not really actually like games are cool, but they're not everything. And you just you spent so much time waiting on this product. This like I don't know. I, it was a big. It, it really hit me, and I think GameStop really helped because it's so lame in there that mm-hmm. I think Neon Acid in this lame place at midnight. It just kind of added up to this this feeling of like you got to do more, man. This is you're 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 really uh you're kind of you know letting yourself down. If right I had now. been there with you at the time, if I'd seen that, and we're like we're all having fun and we're celebrating StarCraft two, and you have this face that's like I should have done something different with my life, I might have asked you, why so serious? <laughs> All right, this is a heavy political episode. We didn't just talk about Wall Street, good versus evil, David versus Goliath. For our homework this episode, segment two, the homework, we are talking about The Manchurian Candidate, the 1962 neo-noir thriller directed by John Frankenheimer, written by George Axelrod, and based on the 1959 Richard Condon novel of the same name, starring Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, and Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah we're we're watching the, the the original obviously not the remake nobody wants that yeah the remake's uh, okay is it okay i've heard nothing I mean, but bad things uh, i mean it's not it is um uh god what is this it's jonathan demi demi who i'm a huge fan of uh he's great and it's one whenever of whenever you hear him you're like give me demi more whenever he <laughs> uh, it's it's like one of his, I think, like not his like high tier, but it's pretty good and it's really well, sh- really well shot. Like all of his movies, uh, Denzel's mm. really good in it. And I mm. do think uh, I was talking about this with my wife last night about how most remakes, um, I feel feel like they usually feel like they have to put in like unnecessary wrinkles and twists to like make the plot more convoluted and it usually like kind of hurts the structure. But I actually think that the plots and the sort of the, the revelations in the remake make more sense than what's in this movie. Oh, interesting. Um, but I actually did really enjoy this movie's plot as well. Um, oh, he also directed the truth about Charlie, which is the remake of that French movie that we talked about. Yeah. I mean, he also did, you know, Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and he, and he directed the, he also uh, directed the uh, Justin Timberlake uh, concert video that's on Netflix. Well, he also did Stop <laughs> Making Sense, the concert movie that like defined all of them. I mean, he's he's the greatest. He's one of the best to ever live. 
I have not actually seen that because I don't know the talking heads very well, but that's, um, you, did you mention that the other day when we were talking about concert films? That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, good. Jonathan DeMay, way to work yourself into this show. That's not about you. Um, but we're talking about Frankenheimer right now because we're talking about the 62 version. Um, let me give you, for people who have not seen it, and it's old enough that I'm going to spoil it for you. Also, I think the name Manchurian Candidate is like socially known to be this. Everyone knows what we're talking about. So let me do it. Uh, but here, anyway, here's your micro summary of the 1962 film. It's the Korean War, and somewhere across the battlefield from the mash tent, there's a group of American soldiers who got captured by a group of communists. The communists use the fantastic art of stage hypnotism to brainwash the American soldiers so that they'll bark like a dog whenever someone knocks on a door, and one of them will kill the president whenever he plays solitaire. It's a hilarious act. you got to see it. They get the volunteers from the audience. Everybody loves it. The group of soldiers released back into America where they tell everybody that they had a really nice time in Korea because of the hypnotism and that Shaw is a war hero, even though he secretly killed people on stage and will continue to do so whenever he sees the Queen of Diamonds. Frank Sinatra was also there, and he's not happy about this whole thing because he keeps having these weird dreams where he remembers having a distinctly bad time during the Korean War. And also that Shaw might be kind of a douchebag. He gets it from his mom. So he starts an army intelligence operation to figure out what's going on in his dreams. And what was happening in his dreams was that Shaw's mother, who is consistently railing about the problem of communism, was actually operating a he-who-smelt-it-dealt-it communism sort of rule where it was her all along being the communist. And she, working with his father-in-law, had her son trained to be murdery and shoot the presidential candidate right before he goes up and takes the presidential nomination so that her husband, the vice presidential candidate, can hold him. And then people are like, wow, that's so beautiful and romantic. We should let him be president or something. And then step three, profit. I'm not entirely clear on her long-term plan. But uh, Frank Sinatra gets to him first uses some sleight of hand to show him 52 queens of diamonds at the same time, putting him into brainwash maintenance mode, and then using that to convince him not to do it. So instead, he just kills his mom and dad and self. And um, yay? <laughs> and that's the movie. That's I, the movie. I really did. Um, there are some things in this movie that, I, especially since I've seen the, the remake first, that I was kind of like watching it thinking like, I wasn't a big fan of sort of some of the things you mentioned, especially sort of like Angela Lansbury's sort of plan and her Mm -hmm. sort of connection towards the communist and all this. But it wasn't until the end of the movie that there's a lot of things in this film that like, as the details kind of get teased out more, I I liked it more and more. And so like one Mm. of my favorite things about that was like, it wasn't that she was a communist. It was, you know, she genuinely, I believe, hated, hates communism. Um, but it's the she's idea an she's an opportunity. Uh, yes, and yeah. like she is yeah. going the this this thing that was like I love that this like a villain's plan that you just know is untenable because the second everyone got their way, they were going to eat each other, right? The communist and his mom with the like, oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the fact that they would have turned oh, on yeah. each other the second uh this was done and it's like i really loved that as like a an, a, a situation to pit the villains in um and i really loved the way this movie was shot and edited especially like a lot of the juxtapositions of like how civilized and proper and polite the communist meetings were while mm-hmm. all the american politics is like 
screaming matches with people yeah, yelling yeah, yeah. at each other. The constant like Abraham Lincoln imagery that's throughout. Yeah, I think the film. this I think this movie production designer probably spent eighty percent of the budget on Abraham Lincoln paraphernalia. There was it's like a chicken in every pot and a Lincoln in every shot. That's how yeah. this movie was produced. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's this one shot where Angela Angela Lansbury is sitting uh, in front or behind a uh, a sculptor of Abraham Lincoln with a that's a lamp with a hat like a yes. few inches above him. Yes, and there's Abraham Lincoln painting behind her, and the way it's framed, it's like the hat on the bus is too high. And the hat is too low on the frame. And she's like there in the center of it. But it's just like this mm. really strong imagery that is like, it's it's very obvious. And it's certainly the type of thing you'll notice. But the, the layers to it, uh, I think, really work to kind of like, even if you don't notice them and put them together, it like makes you feel something about this character and a sort of hypocrisy. And yeah, that's American super cool. politics. It's just very, very well done. Yeah, what, one of the things I like about it is that, and this is, I was from my my brief reading was true of all of the a lot of the novels from uh, Richard Condon, uh, but just not a huge fan of American politics either. And I like using it wasn't just like communists are bad and Americans are heroes. It's like this is a this is a world where like a lot of people suck just in different ways, right? And I enjoyed that. It was not a it was not a rah rah American thing. I'm not really sure what it was trying to say politically, though. I will say well, that's I, the, I, that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I was a little put off by by that aspect of it because it felt a little bit like like there's a pretty solid skewering of McCarthyism in this movie, but I'm not really sure what this movie is is uh, is interested in beyond kind of just saying like all of these things suck. Um, well, yeah, I think it works better it's a, as a thriller than it does, I feel like, as a political commentary. I, I mean, I totally almost agree. feel like this movie is like a um, a never-Trumpers wet dream. Because, like, what... <laughs> what wait, 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 wait. So you're saying it was made by The Lincoln Project? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but if you guys need me, I'm going to be walking around getting every high five on Earth. Yeah, um... But... It's it's very much like this movie is what it's saying is like, look, the, the communist and evil, corrupt Republicans are going to try to, you know, take advantage of the country. And the only thing that can stop a bad Republican is a good Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like, that's, that a, is, that's a great point. Yeah, that is what the movie is about. Like when they reveal that, like the guy, um, the Shaw's like father in law. Uh, is a like I thought he was going to be like an across the aisle a political opponent, but when they reveal he's in the same party, the same party. Yeah. Then, I, was, yeah. I was like, oh, so I guess like, and we know Sinat- Sinatra is not you know marching with the Panthers at this time, so he's right. definitely <laughs> definitely not uh, what we would call probably a Democrat at this, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, that was really interesting. It was really weird to like, you know, it, it feels hypocritical, especially living in the current America that is in, you know, two forever wars, essentially. But it, it, like to think like, man, to be already doing like weird Korean war movies 10 years, less than 10 years after yeah. that war ended uh, is like a really interesting 
time to like set this movie. Um, yeah. Also, well, the I, book would have been even because the book would have been three years before it, right? So the the book came out like a couple years after the war was over. Yeah, and then the remake. I think one of the biggest problems with adapting anything from this period is like if you're gonna set it in modern day, the Cold War is such a vital part to this, and like it almost makes more sense yeah. in the remake when it's all American bad scientists, right? It's like an American plot to do this and there's no communists involved at all right mm. um but that's just because the so you know the cold war is over we can't keep doing cold war plots yeah i i think that it's you got you i hadn't thought of this but you're both hitting the same point which is that like politically it seems like condon is like a little bit messy uh, and not clear and and that takes away from it and it's interesting where like the reason why i think this has lasted is certainly not because of its great political message it's yes. because this science fiction concept of brainwashing a guy into killing people whenever he sees a thing is a really cool science fiction construct. Mm -hmm. And so like, cause like also reading about Richard Conan is like a lot of his novels did not do super well. He like wrote like 27 books and like two of them were pretty good sellers. And he, but he, every year he would crank out another book with the premise, all politicians are bad. And so when you're just doing that kind of like boring, muddy point of view without like a, without a, without a lot of nuance to it, then the only ones we're going to remember are when you have a really fucking cool uh, uh, science fiction aspect. And so that's the part of this, I think, that really makes it endure is not the politics of 62 or of the Cold War even. It's just like, actually, this idea of this killer is really cool and we want to keep thinking about it. Well, yeah. also, it goes into like this, this like shadowy cabal um, idea of the government that like you, yeah. know, you see with like QAnon today. That, yeah, like, yeah. And like this, this idea has never gone away, even beyond like the brainwashing part. But like you, you're looking, especially you know when we have fifty years of hindsight's and a bunch of things that were released during through the Freedom of Information Act, and you get into like MK Ultra and actual mind control experiments that we know like our government even did. Mm -hmm. um, and just this idea of, like, even if it's not necessarily mind control, the idea that, like, uh, politicians are plotting, you know, and, like, doing essentially false flag assassination attempts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, like, it's, it, these are, like, themes and topics that are recycled to this day. Um, yeah, by, I, I'd almost call it, like, the general conspiracy theory. It's mm -hmm. like, this is the pro, this is the basis of all conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I mean, I, cause what, cause JFK is killed like two years after this movie comes out too. So like it, oh, it must true. have really like it, it. I mean, I would imagine that this movie probably had had a very fast reexamination after that. Um, or although maybe, I didn't know to do any reading it was about just it. Incorporated into the um, into the myth, yeah, into the myth and the, and the conspiracy theory that they were prim yeah, people were totally. primed for it because they'd seen this great false flag assassination movie. Yeah. I mean, the thing about false flag. Uh, operations is that they do make really interesting movie plots and mm -hmm. there's just not a lot of like as far as a conspiracy theory they don't usually make a lot of sense it usually involves some pretty magical thinking like we're like right. his in this case his mom being like well everybody hates this man but if he's the one holding the person who just got shot presumably out of all their grief yeah. people will vote for him like and if they don't what's your plan for this is that your I whole 
I mean, look at the way America, you know, rallied around George Bush after 9-11, right? Like, there is something to this idea of, like, I think the biggest bummer with this movie is we didn't get to hear this great speech uh, that the the Soviet spies worked on for eight years. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 We we all know that there's a lot of really good instances of... uh, translated political speeches from other countries that are really rousing and Americans love them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're always being persuaded by uh, really carefully translated political propaganda. But like, I do think that there is something like sort of to that idea, especially with the, the, the Oswald and JFK things, you know, because like, you know, Oswald famously spent some time in the USSR and they were like, yeah, dude, we don't like you. Go back home, like, and yeah. take them out, like. But like, yeah, we have our thing, own crazy people. Yeah, but the idea that he was there at all and like came back was like just enough for people to project the Maturian candidate into yep. Yep. that narrative, right? Like, that's such right. a huge part of it. And then you have, you know, like weird stuff, like when um, Curtis Chapman, you know, assassinated John Lennon, and like reading Catcher on the Rye, and like. There's just so much stuff that people, I think, especially once they see saw this movie, could project it into things that happened in the news over their think, lifetime. Well, yeah, I think you're I think you're closer on this one than on Catcher in the Rye. I feel like he really misunderstood that book. Mm. Yeah. If it if if he thought the message of that book was to kill John Lennon, I feel like he Yeah, no, I took, I think he did miss miss the boat there. And, yeah. And I'm not good at interpreting works of art, as you know. And I still think that's a little even for me, that's a big conclusion to jump to. Um well, I'm the kidding. You're not laughing. But the, conspiracy, the conspiracy is not that the book made him do it. It's that Catcher in the Rye is used by MK Ultra to be a control for their essentially what Solid right, Era right. is in this. That's what the conspiracy is that they use that book for. Um, yeah, that's true. In um, uh, what was the conspiracy theory? The movie, the Mel Gibson. Yeah, it was just conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Mel Gibson. Yeah, that's all. That is the 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 thing that f- triggers him. I the thing. I don't know if I was building um, a perfect assassin with a subconscious trigger device, I would do something that doesn't occur very often. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, this is why is he ends up jumping in a lake. Is because it's like you mean anytime you see the Queen of Diamonds. Now, granted, it was very bad luck that the love of his life dressed as a Queen of Diamonds for a costume party because that is a shit costume. Well, yeah, so not a costume that's not going to happen very often. Well, wasn't that if anything that was really good luck because that's what got him out of the spell? Oh, that's like, true. That did end up helping. Yeah, yeah. It was bad luck that she happened to come downstairs after he killed her father. Uh, that oh, I, I guess I meant bad luck for his Chinese programmers. Um, yeah, I mean, that, but yeah, yeah. It's definitely more of a like I I thought this when I saw like a tenant recently. They have like a a code phrase that like someone uh-huh. says the first half and someone is supposed to say the second half. So you're like you know, but it's like a line from a Walt Whitman poem, which is like yeah, most people wouldn't know the exact line. But what happens when your spy runs into the one huge Whitman fan? Yeah, and or like, it's just like. 
Yeah, yeah. You just he's, overhear somebody being like, two paths converge in a wood. And you're like, yeah. oh, I got to go kill now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what happens when someone like accidentally says the rest of the phrase and then you make him tag along in an assassination or something? What like, happens when he runs into every single high school graduation speech? What's he going to do? Yeah, that's why you got to have like, you know, those like real non sequitur random activation phrases. Yeah, it's got to be pretty intense, I would think. You'd want to do a lot. It's like That's like saying, like, if you're like, my safety word is oops. Like, that's going to happen sometimes. Yeah, you're gonna, right. It's going to come out. You need something that you're never going to say. Um, I think, like, instead of a, like, even a queen of diamonds, there's got to be, like, a, you got to have, I like solitaire. Because this is the, I mean, I'm not good at this. I've never programmed someone to kill. But I feel like you want something that's available but never going to happen on accident. Never. Because if he just one time kills somebody without proper preparation, he's going to get caught and your whole thing is over. And right. I don't know about you guys, but like, you know when you're playing solitaire and like you fuck something up and you have a bad hand? Uh, I have a tendency where like I can't stop until I like complete a game. You know what I mean? Like I will scrap it. So like I'm constantly going to be late for assassinations. When it's oh, like, that's yeah, such yeah. A good point. I need to, I need to, no, I need to finish this hand of solitaire and then I'll well, go kill the guy. But also, you know, also because it's seeing the queen of diamonds, if you, del- if you deal the queen of diamonds, the, on the face down pile on the farthest to the right, it might be 45 minutes before he gets there. Right. Yeah. So yeah. If you're trying to trick an assassination and he's just like actually playing. So, and he's playing, remember he's playing the version where he deals three cards at a time, not one. So he's going to lose a lot. So, more often than not, like at some like some like twenty percent of the time or whatever, he's not going to see the queen, and right. you're just going to not yeah. get your assassination. That's a huge flaw right there. Yeah, that's I mean, the real hole in this movie. I thought the same thing with like okay, so sometimes the the queen. Oh, so like he sees one queen of diamonds. Like he gets mm-hmm. told the activation phrase, and then it's like a two step confirmation, right? You get the phrase, and then once he sees the queen of diamonds, that's when he's like in. Uh, like program mode and you can tell him the right. new things. But yeah. then the, when he sees his next queen of diamonds, he goes back to normal. But when uh, uh, Frank is like, keep do, making him do it with a deck that's just queen of diamonds, it's like yeah. each queen of diamonds sends him deeper into the programming. Yeah. Rather than, shouldn't it be like turning like a light switch going on? <laughs> yeah, like, on off, on yeah like, it's like, well, where, where am I? Where, wait, this play, why, wait, why am I playing solitaire? There's a lot of queens. Oh, thank you, Frank. Tell me more of my info. Wait, why am I here? Where's all these queens coming from? <laughs> yeah, it also does uh, really say That's a, a lot point. about like 60s understanding of psychology and a very sort of masculine american idea about what it means to like be a strong man that all like frank sinatra's idea is like look whole hands of queen you're free all your problems are gone uh, <laughs> don't be a little that bitch no more that, yeah plan to deal with it and it's not really clear where he gets that idea yeah, from it's I just, just like yeah this will work i just imagine a, going to see a therapist about like some deep-seated trauma and the hypnotize you and they like get you all calm and they go, You hypnotized? And you're like, Yes. And they're like, All right, good. Stop being such a little bitch about things. All right. <laughs> Just fucking stop smoking. Stop smoking, you dumb idiot. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Look, yeah, your mom was like really hard on you. So what? All right, man, the fuck up. When uh, I snap my fingers, you're just going to be happy all the time, you dipshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's such a good point. I like that a lot. 
Um, I it did the cards though did allow for the I, I quoted this when I was introducing you, but my favorite thing in the movie is that Frank Sinatra's character has a deck of cards that are all queens, and he goes to his fiance, who as a weird side plot. I don't. She like sees him on a train, have a psychological Wait, meltdown. What's going and on with that character? Yeah. Like, and she's like, "We should definitely be married soon." I'm gonna call my fiance and break up with him for this guy I just saw not be able to light a cigarette because he's so stressed out. It was yeah. weird. I really Dude, what, thought what, it really was though, be... what, what was going on? Like, I totally what I I thought I, this movie like I, I like watched this movie wrong or like it it like messed me up at times <laughs> because. Because I, I was like, oh, she's part of the plot. Like, she's yeah. like his handler or something like that. Yeah, really? Because exactly. well, they have a conversation in a train vestibule where it sounds like they're doing Walt Whitman lines back and forth. Yeah. Are you, yeah. It sounded like a series of act- activation phrases. And then it just turns out she liked his... He's just hot. You know what I mean? It's Frank Sinatra, right? Yeah, it's I mean, black he and white hot, movies. Yeah. So he's like old gray eyes. But hey. still, it's beautiful, man. Janet Leigh is beautiful as well. That's... Uh... Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they I, just, they, they deserve to be together. They're both yeah. hot. I, you ever, have, this is really random as well, but you ever have like, uh, like a, an actor of like a, like a, whose parent is also very famous and you have a hard time because you see too much of the kid or too much of the parent in the other one. Mm-hmm. I did that oh, with, yeah. with Janet Lee because there's so much of Jamie Lee Curtis in her eyes and like around mm-hmm. her, like the way she moves that I have a hard time paying attention because at one second I'm looking at Janet Lee, and then the sex second second I'm looking at Jamie Lee Curtis, and I'm yeah, just like, pick fair. a face. I, I just want to deal with that Freudian slip where you said I'm sex. I'm sex with Jamie Lee Curtis for sure. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> anyway, it led to my my favorite line, which was where he starts. He does a card trick for her, and she's just left her fiance to marry him after knowing him for two days, and she goes, "Oh, Vinny, card tricks. If I'd have known." And that's they just like it's just a casual like this like knowing a card trick is a breakup level offense for this engaged couple really yeah. cracked me up. That's yeah. very very funny. I, I did like him being like it's called a trick deck. Uh, <laughs> this thing I not you. The the important part is that the army could afford to throw away fifty one decks of cards for that to work. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I like project um, right there. Uh, yeah, that that whole subplot with the romance didn't make any sense. But let me ask you guys this, because um, I guess I felt like Frank Sinatra like did an okay job in this movie. Can he actually act? Is that real? I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a handful of Frank movies. He doesn't have the biggest range, but like, yeah, you know, I think he. he I think sad when he was sad. Yeah, I think he's a better singer than he is an actor. But he could. Yeah. Act yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's not a hot take, but I'll I'll believe it. But like, yeah, he was he was a fine actor. I definitely think he's like for this idea of like a a tough Korean War veteran in the sixties. He is exactly what you imagine. Um, I do love the scene. Uh, one thing I think Frank could not do is maybe fight choreography. Uh, <laughs> Because that whole scene, which also like Hollywood's idea in like the six, uh, late fifties, early sixties of like what martial arts was, uh, was before you fight, you put your hands out in a weird pose and then <laughs> you just slap at each other. It was like yeah. watching a Steven Seagal fight. It was just two grown men. But like, what was great about it was that they were both doing the same ridiculous fighting 
and I I liked that as just like there's this is a world where they've both been programmed by the same fight teacher who's never actually seen fighting, and so they both do it weird and but in the same way weird. It was fun, and I like when fighting involves a lot of throwing into furniture, and then someone else gets to come home and be like, "What's happened here?" Mm. That was fun for me. <laughs> um uh, yeah that was enjoyable yeah his fighting was was really ridiculous um all right we're gonna wrap this up here in a second any final like what are your final thoughts on uh the manchurian candidate uh i, uh, I liked angela a lot i, I thought I was she was yeah. she was nominated for an oscar for this movie i think angela lansbury is definitely like oh, I don't uh the performance of the film and it's another one of those things in the remake it's meryl streep is in this role and she is obviously very very good um but i think angela asbury just has such a sinister like ideal waspy uh republican lady that like meryl doesn't really have like meryl you know definitely plays like high status and uh influence like a lot of influence very well but there's something about angela lansbury's um her like way she plays this character that I think it makes it so sinister. And like I said, yeah, my I favorite thought... my favorite scene in the movie is the one when she's apologizing to her son, being like, "If I knew it was going to be you," and right. I, I really like that idea that like she got in bed with these people, thinking that she was going to get an assassin, and of course, to fuck with her, they made it her son. Uh, yes, and her being like when we're done here and we finally get what they want, they're going to fucking pay for this. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure your reaction was similar. Like, I'm not so sure, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I think, think they, I don't think you're, I think you might, I think you might be the, the David in this story and David doesn't win in this one. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I was like, I'm pretty sure I know how the maturing candidate ends. I don't think she's going to be coming back. <laughs> well, that too. Sequel. I, I liked her. I liked that. I, I was and I liked the reveal of it being her. I thought that was a big fun surprise that I didn't know happened. And mm-hmm. I I thought it was just sort of a parallel that his mom was controlling of his stepdad and the the communists were controlling him. And then to find that they were actually the same was really interesting. And then also she in her quest for this power lost what was greatest, like most valuable to her. And then he ends up like killing his fiance because of his controller. I thought that it was a that part was well constructed. I thought both those were really interesting um, things. But I will say, as far as villainy goes, when Angela Lansbury kissed her adult son on the mouth, I got off board with her. I was like, I'm not into this planned over the government anymore. Now you're gross. It, apparently. And then the studio was like, I guess in the book, they 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 do it, which is... They, wait, no, wait, what, wait, 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 what? Uh, they, in they the do, book, they, they fully do it? In, in the book, they do sex. There's like no. a weird incest. I'm serious. No. And, I mean, like that's. I read this. That's definitely more no. in the. I mean, well, you can see why they didn't yeah. include it, and it said it's just a kiss. But, but like in the remake, there's also the incestuous stuff is also kind of leaned into a little bit more. But yeah, it's supposed to be no. like an odd incestual <laughs> thing, and that's another one. So like, sorry, the, dude, it got it. Just, it's in there. That's in, the, that's. In the the remake, they kind of do sort of like all of the kind of big complaints, especially with like the Janet Lee character, where it's like they basically make Raymond uh, 
the vice presidential candidate as well as the not the assassin though like he's still mind controlled but in the remake uh, communist no it's just evil uh like a big corporation because it was the early mm, 2000s right. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. some big company that his mom is in bed with um and like denzel is oh, so the, him and his mom ha- or him and that company have that in common yeah and they're in bed with his mom you get it uh like denzel is the sniper Ooh. at the end uh like he he's the guy investigating it in the frank sinatra role but ends up also being oh, he's also controlled, controlled. oh yeah. that's cool um so this way I, I mean that's when you're remaking a movie with like famous twists you got to be like here's our own twist on the twists we yeah, we exactly. retwisted we double twisted um but yeah, twisted. I, We're all twisted I was all the way down. really really happy I watched this I definitely was yeah. especially the the editing and I think this movie has two or three sequences that I kind of took my breath away in terms of visuals so there's the first big hypnotism sequence which yeah, that's is awesome. oh yeah of course like this the is way so- the set is switching in real time as the camera is rotating yeah uh, so just to set the scene for people at home if you haven't seen it is like so they are they are hypnotized and they are in a room with a meeting of evil communists but they are hypnotized to think they're in a lovely hotel in a gardening seminar and the camera slowly pans around the room throughout the scene and it switches between those two activities and so the and like so the old lady at the gardening thing is now saying the thing the evil communist guy is saying and it is a brilliant scene and in fact it is the main reason we're watching this movie this week is because in my film class I was taking online uh he talked about that scene and it made me want to watch this movie so yeah, yeah so I, I'm glad we mentioned it it's an incredible scene yeah that sequence and then there's uh I talked about like the Lincoln imagery and then there's a really great shot uh, which one, by the way, aren't you so glad we live in a world where, like, senators and congressmen don't just get up and lie making up numbers about things that don't exist? <laughs> uh, I could I just, it was, it was so faint, so faint, fanciful. I just couldn't. Yeah. Uh, see, this is that at heart you kind of agree with Condon, yeah. and you want to hear his thoughts on how all politicians are in a secret well, conspiracy no, to hate you. I already believe they're in a secret co- pol- uh, conspiracy to hate me. That's no no doubt about that um but there's another sequence when these two senators are yelling at each other and the way they're doing he he frames it is that these two different sides of the room but both of them have a monitor in the foreground and so it's a two shot of the two actors talking to each other but only one of them's actually in frame as he cuts between the two shots and Mm -hmm. i just thought that was really cool i've never seen anything quite like that um and it was just awesome there's a lot of stuff in this movie that like i was really surprised by the editing and cinematography uh especially for the time it was made but it yeah this was was it was nominated for an oscar for the editing and i don't always understand that nomination but this one i feel like i do largely because of that hypnotism scene it's just so brilliantly edited together yeah yeah it's crazy that it that it makes sense actually that it even And it even works, and then and then once it works, it's it's just it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. when you once you figure out it's happening, it's still a delight. It's not like once it's not like hey now I I get it. It's like 
oh my god, that's what's happening, and I I want to keep seeing it, and they keep deepening it, and it is, and you learn you learn so much about the plot from it. It's beautiful. It's really cool. Can I, can I make a quick uh, recommendation before we Please, get out of this segment? I'm gonna let you close with this. Okay, cool. Um, so so I I like this movie. It was a little spotty for me. There were just some some aspects well, but of you it. You watched that, it wrong. Yeah, I I did watch it wrong. I, I'm always willing to accept that I maybe watched something wrong. I do, however, like Cold War thriller movies, and one movie that I feel like still hasn't gotten the love that it deserves is fail safe this movie came out two years later um after manchurian candidate and instead of kind of casting the uh communists as like comic book bad guys with a with a wild scheme uh, it actually takes a look at the i think real fear of the cold war which is uh, a nuclear holocaust and it plays out a um a scenario essentially um it's a very very tight script directed by uh sydney lumet uh, who did Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, oh, this, cool. this movie is really, really good. I really wish more people would watch it. And basically, it, it is a scenario where an accidental nuclear situation occurs between the Soviet Union and the U.S. It is not on purpose. And what's mm-hmm. great is this almost actually happened, and we almost did go to nuclear war on accident. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's Cuba, a very right? good movie. You're talking about Cuban Missile Crisis? No, I'm talking about... Uh, Petrikov, what's his name? The the Soviet guy that basically decided oh, yeah, the, to ignore um, oh, yeah, what yeah, was yeah. on the nuclear. Um, it was essentially like a nuclear uh, warning system. Uh, there was a mistake on it, and this one uh, Russian guy in a submarine was like, "I think that's a mistake." And, but if he had pressed the button, we would have gone to nuclear war. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. And Good also, job, um, the world what's, exists because of you. What's that other Denzel movie that's very much similar to that, but it takes place on a sub uh, with Gene oh, Hackman? Uh, 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 it's a Tony Scott movie, but it's all the same thing. But people on a you know have to make a decision to interpret uh, something and possibly go to nuclear war, which is uh, Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide, man, doesn't like. Yeah, it sucks nowadays. And in retrospect, the Cold War wasn't that scary because it didn't. The world didn't end. But man, that must have been real tense to live under forty years of that. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, like I just think of like COVID in the last four years and how my tummy hurts all the time now. <laughs> and I just imagine. I just imagined that. <laughs> yeah, man. Seriously, if we lived in the Cold War, your tummy would hurt. Yeah, my tummy would hurt so much more than it does now. Uh, All right, we got one more thing to discuss, and then we're going to be done for the day. So stick around. All right, so for segment three today, the argument. We have an argument from our meat buddy, Sarah Noage. And I, Sarah um, Noage says... Hunter, can we get the the argument? Oh, yeah. The argument. Thank you. I'm going to save that and just do it on my own from now on. But the argument, uh, so Sarah Noah gave us this argument, leaving an empty cup on the kitchen counter, inconsiderate or not. And uh, Sarah gives us a little bit of a hint because Sarah says, my husband's version of this argument is putting someone's cup in the dishwasher when they might want to fill it up again, inconsiderate or not. So the battle lines are drawn. Do you leave cups around because you might drink longer? Or do you immediately put stuff into a dishwasher? I mean, if you had a dishwasher, it's nice to assume that I do. Um, 
I yeah, I, I guess not just out of clutterness, but do you keep cups lying around for for drinking out of? Do you put someone else's cup away if you think you see, they might need these later? Here's what I, I'm gonna say in this situation. Uh, I'm gonna say this is the type of stuff that like if this problem comes up, we need to reconsider everything from the ground up. All right. <laughs> so let me let me explain what my solution to this. Yeah, please. Because me and my wife, we would have this argument. We absolutely would. So what we did was we looked at the problem differently. We looked at it from the ground up. And what we did was we got designated water cups Mm -hmm. that you wash your water cup when you want your water cup washed. Yes. And then you just keep them out. So this I completely agree. Or don't. If if you want yours washed, if you want to wash yours every time, that's your water cup. You wash it as much as you want. Go crazy. It's and it's like the other cups, like we have, you know, champagne flutes and special wine glasses and cups. Yeah. That I like we occasionally get like a soda or a juice. Um, yeah. In that case, the problem might come up. Um, but I think that like if it comes to something that like the water cup situation, because my wife and I were both every six months. I think a lot of people do this. We, we both go like I got to get hydrated more. And we're good oh, okay. for like, I thought you were saying I thought you were saying you only wash your water cups every six months, which no, I would say like, is not often know, enough. No, every like six months, it's like I think a lot of adults do this. It's like I gotta drink more water. So you start drinking water a lot, and this way you're using the cup a lot. And mm-hmm. like we would have cups all over the place. It would look like the house from uh uh signs if that was the case. <laughs> so yeah. you have the designated cups. Um Yeah, I, but, I think that's really smart. I I think that if if I came home and there was like four cups set out, uh, I'd be a little annoyed, maybe. So I can kind of see uh, where the, hu- the 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 wife is coming from here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I, my well, well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's basically how we also have divided up things in my marriage is that we are in charge of our own water cups. Um, and I think especially if the water cup is not a a a glass if it's got a little bit of opaqueness to it so that you don't have to see if the other person's water cup's been around for a little while the same way it doesn't it doesn't get as visibly gross then i think it's yeah, easier to handle this fair. system um and also if your issue is people seeing your house being cluttery i just feel like there are rules for a lot of different things in your house that change when people are visiting and maybe it's just like when people are over we wash the water glass I think that's normal. I love yeah. splitting up the water. I think your your solution is exactly right. And then this, so the answer is Sarah and your husband and, and husband, you guys are both right. Um, mm-hmm. Is it's inconsiderate to decide what the other person's water glass should be about? Either way. Whoa, hey, whoa, bud, you're you're taking my spot here. You're, oh, please get in. You're choosing both. No, you're choosing oh, both. Oh, yeah, so you yeah. Do that. That's against the rules, <laughs> yeah. Alex. I'm oh, supposed uh, to be rude to you hey, now. Hey, and Hunter. You're like, uh, wait and wait and not participate, jerk. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, Hunter, did you know Alex was a big cheater? Yeah, I didn't know what that a, until right now. What a cheater! He just cheated on the question. Uh, I I don't think I'm cheating on the question. Actually, I think my answer is leaving an empty cup on the counter is not inconsiderate. Putting someone else's di- cup in the dishwasher is inconsiderate. Um, if they might want to fill it up again. And the reason is because you should divide. So I actually think I am answering both of the questions, yes or no, quite no, well. No, um, you know what? I'm going to take a stance here uh, because uh-huh. Alex took my spot. So I'm going to say this. It's inconsiderate. Dump his ass. It's over. <laughs> it's over. 
get him out of here. It's yeah, in, it is, oh, that's so rude. That's so quite, rude. It is not quite learning a card trick, but it is up there with breakup material. Yeah. yeah also, yeah. it's like, so, okay, like what, if this is like a subtle conveni- inconvenience thing that like, I, I definitely think and this is something my wife and I, we've been together uh, we've been married for three years. We've been together for like eleven. Alex, you've been with uh, Megan for a really long time as well. And like, I, I don't know about you guys, but it's like a, a big part of like I think kind of maintaining a healthy relationship is like not letting those little frustrations build up, and like yeah. being vocal about that and being like understanding and like, hey, I just want to I, I want to let you know this is how I feel rather than like letting it fester and i do think it is important to have these conversations about things like that so i do think it is healthy and to try to keep them in good spirits because if you were to come home one day and like let's say your husband saw a cup of water on the counter and he was like son of a bitch and he threw it against the wall <laughs> we might have a whole nother issue there you know right, what i mean yeah, so you gotta yeah, kind of like if it was a plastic cup it would just bounce off the wall yeah so if if and that's the kind cup. of situation you're talking about one i feel like we have not applied the right amount of like uh worry here and two uh maybe uh it's a little bit deeper than that Um, i I will say like i do think also a big part of what why relationships work or not is because you have either similar levels or yin yang levels of tidiness i think getting along as roommates is like such a crucial part of a relationship lasting mm-hmm. which is why I can't, this is why so many people had like the idea of what marriage is like from your grandparents is that they fight all of the time. And it's because they didn't get to live together before they got married and find out how they both feel about cups. I think you have to check up first and figure out your cup compatibility. And then situation, yeah. Yeah. I, Cause yeah. I would say I'm a pretty chill dude in a lot of ways um, that have never shown themselves on this podcast, but I, if my wife really did not like a water cup lying around, I could get the cup out of the cupboard every time I wanted water. I I could be a person who put away my cup more often um, if that was. Well, uh, you. Yeah, because I, I think we're but it's because we're like so compatible on a lot of different uh, roommate level make things. These cup sacrifices. Yes, exactly. That's the other part is being willing to sacrifice the other person's cup needs uh, if you have to. But I also I want to. Uh, to be, you know, the yin to the yang there, and to reference mm. signs again. Oh, thank you. Those cups <laughs> might, of water might save you from an alien abduction one day. Oh. So I do want you to keep that in mind, because maybe some aliens who are allergic to water one day will decide, let's go to Earth, the planet that's mostly water, uh, <laughs> and in which case you'll be real happy when you have that water cup everywhere. That's so true. That's true. It won't even ruin your day. I don't know, man. You know, sometimes I like to just leave the water out for a day, and then then it's ripe, and mm. then I'll drink it. You like to let it in there. Mm. Yeah, you like I mean, to let it get the right vintage of water, which well, is what what it it. I want it to be still for no. a while, so that maybe some fun stuff will 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 start so growing. Okay, so in. I, I suspect that all three of us are cup leave routers, and oh, and definitely, yeah. bro. Yeah, well, and here's I, my theory. You know, like, so let me finish this really quick, Anthony. My theory is that we are looked down upon by parts of society for leaving our water cups out, 
But what all, what the responsible adults do is they just leave a water bottle lying around. Like if you just get a metal water bottle with a lid, all of a sudden it's cool to leave your cup. As if I don't know that that's just a big ass cup with a lid. You just have a, it's basically a sippy cup for your water and you're cool. And I'm not cool because my cup has, has an open top. Ah, they're tricking us, dude. I need exactly. to get on this shit. So all you have to do is just get a water bottle, which costs way more and is more wasteful in resources to have your water sit on your desk instead of having it be in a cup because then you look messy. Well, the other thing is I don't drink water. OK, that's <laughs> not even do you mean months? zero. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by water? <laughs> I mean, actually, I do to your Anthony, to your every six months thing, which is so true of so many people. Um, but I have I, I am. This is a this is not a this is a controversial take, but I think the internet overvalues water consumption. Yeah, I think there's some pro water propaganda out there. Yeah, and big water. Uh, I think you should just drink water when you're thirsty and you're fine. And people are like, oh, if you have like if you have a headache, water solves it. If you have if you're tired, water solves it. If you broke your leg, just have some water. Oh my and you'll god, be don't fine. get me started on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, right? People are so like magical thinking about water, and it just seems like it's never. I don't think it's true. I think we would all be dead if it was true that we all needed to drink so much that you pee constantly i just don't think that's practical i don't think people are doing Dude, it i don't think it's I, I want my pee to smell like that okay <laughs> <laughs> see you just said yeah i don't agree with that amendment i didn't say that that wasn't my point you agreeing with me makes me feel like i'm wrong right. so i don't like start that. your day and then at the 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 end of your day you know exactly how much coffee you did have that day it's i don't agree with you this know, anymore i'm I, so sorry i just want to say the most fucked up depressing thing i think i've ever thought because of this podcast oh, yeah. uh, is that when hunter said big water as a joke my first thought was immediately like yeah nestle uh, <laughs> because that's the dystopian world we live in it is. There is literally there's literally big water uh that is the, <laughs> the world that's a great point do you guys have time for one more quick e- mailbag before we go yeah yeah Okay, let's do a, a very quick mailbag. A correction. I should have told you. Bad news. Well, who are you correcting? We'll see. Um, uh, you've already said yes, and that it's okay. So we have a correction from Robin, um, who you guys may remember as our streaming oh, yeah. buddy. Hey, Robin. When we had a very successful streaming show where we basically played a game and chatted with Robin. Um, this is about episode 402, a couple weeks back. I'm sorry to report that Anthony pulled a total Ezra in this episode. What? It's hard even to know if that is good or bad. Um, in the movie Master and Commander, Russell Crowe is neither the master nor the commander. Who is the master? Um, well, master think- in the... I'm gonna, uh, in fact, great question, because the, the letter continues. Master, in the British Navy parlance codified after the reforms of Henry VIII, referred to the sailing master who handled the details of everyday sailing and navigation. Commander referred to a lieutenant who commanded a sloop or a brig, commanders were often informally called master and commander, either because the commander of a small vessel also had the duties of sailing master, or because of an outdated reference to a pre-reformed terminology. I've had it explained both ways by historians. This does not apply to Russell Crowe, who held the rank of post-captain and commanded a large sixth-rate frigate with an armament of 28 guns and a crew complement of 197 souls. I can only imagine that the movie was given its misleading title because the, the guy... 
the misguided filmmakers thought Master and Commander, the title of the first book of the series it was based on, sounded better than either Post Captain or the series' actual name, the Aub- Aubrey Maturin series. In any case, I expect you to discipline Anthony so that it, so that such derelictions of duty are not repeated. No, see, he's he's getting all historical. I'm talking about the Problem subtext time. of the movie. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, the metaphors the filmmaker puts up there. At the end of the film, he is both master and commander. Um, I think there may be some truth to that, but I will say, I will also, that's one more paragraph from Robin. I think it's important, Anthony, before you get too defensive. Anthony was also wrong. Robin, I'll fucking murder you. You think I give a shit? No, I I don't like your, your giving Robin male pronouns, but anyway, um, Anthony was also wrong about people who achieved their life goal feeling empty. Could someone who feels empty be able to give such a detailed correction of such a minor misunderstanding? I think not. That's a good point. So I think that is, I think that is a terrific point. And like one of the most delightful, uh, complete corrections that we've ever received. And I assume that one of the reasons for this, uh, such a detailed correction and the knowledge of boats in this way and their, their staff is because Robin Bennis is the author of The Guns Above, which is a book about um, using, I believe, this sort of boat tech, tech uh, or boat ter- terminology, but in the context of airships. So it's about like dirigible warfare, and it's very fun, and I like it, and I think you should read it. So it that is I, uh, why we have that much of. A I do, collection. to be fair, think I would not have made that mistake had they made the sequels. I think that would have really gotten ironed out in Master and Commando mm-hmm. 2 or at yes. least 3 right. uh, in terms of who is the Master and Commando. They just didn't have time to get yeah, to Yeah, there that. was so much other business that they had to do. There was so much yeah. boat business. Um, I think that I, I thought that was a delightful correction, and I'm sorry that it was directed at you, Anthony. As always, on Radiant Leap, corrections are information that you don't have to feel bad about. That's my feeling. We have official stance is that you'd never have to feel bad about corrections. Because I decided that. So I invite I invite uh, I invite anyone to correct me. Just try it. <laughs> Whoa, you're throwing down. You're putting yeah. your hands up in a weird slap fight position if you're saying yeah, that. Give it a shot. Because let me tell you something. When I record this show, I got my computer open right here, and <laughs> most of the time, I'm just googling what I'm saying as I'm saying it. So. I... I think yeah. that's excellent of you, and I think that it helps. Was. But if you do have a correction for Hunter, heaven forbid, or for either Anthony or I, I'm not going to feel bad about it. Send it to podcasts at read-weep.com, and we would love to read it on the air. And that brings us to the end of the show for the day. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back again next week with three more great topics. Um, next week, we don't always have our topics picked very far in advance, so we can't always talk about it. But next week, we have decided... We're talking about Bucket Hat and Space Baby. Oh, that, oh I forgot. Ooh, is that yeah. exciting? Space um, Baby. Um, is that too aggressive? I think I'll be finished by then. I think we're far enough into the season. We'll have to do be pretty consistent about it. But I've been watching it at a chill pace that I enjoy instead of cramming for this. So you guys watch it way back when. But I, uh, my wife and I are most of the way through the second season of, um, of Bucket Hat. So if you guys are excited to hear us talk about the Star Wars fan service to end all fan services. Join us We're for gonna that. We're going to blow out about Bill Burr, aren't we? We're going to talk Bill Burr for an hour, right? Wait, oh my Wait, I thought we were talking about Buckethead, the prog rock guitar player who plays with a KFC bucket on his head. Like, yeah, isn't, he shit. isn't he Isn't he the 
the Mandalorian? Isn't it that guy? Have you ever listened? Have you ever listened to Bucketheads? No, of like, course I haven't. The dude has he comes up with like twelve albums a year. It's insane. <laughs> you can look up his filmography sometime. <laughs> his, uh, his, his CD is like his discography. Discography. It's mind blowing. Uh, I was saying bucket hat, not bucket head. Mine's a totally different thing because um, it's a hat that is a bucket. Um, he's got a normal head underneath his bucket. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're, we were going from the Manchurian Candidate to the Mandalorian, um, no relation. And so it's also I'm, I'm thinking, depending on what news happens at the last minute, it may be kind of a space themed episode because there's a lot of space news recently that I might want to talk in, about. So, hey, hold on, go fast. I just want to give you a little. Uh, in the year of our Lord 2015. Buckethead released 118 solo albums. <laughs> That's not true. It is. How is that? How, what I does that even mean? I'll give you a hint uh, without knowing much about it, Hunter, but my the way it works in my head is that they're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Buckethead. The year before that, he released 60, and the year after that, he released 24. So Man, I can see why you're too embarrassed to show your face from under that bucket, because that is too many albums i don't even like when there's two in a year all right anyway all of that and more coming up next week thank you guys so much for listening thanks for being here anthony lopez hey and it's always great chatting with you hunter donaldson Love it. all right we'll talk to you next week goodbye Psh. hey